Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Welcome into another edition of the Hangtime Podcast. Sekou Smith here in Atlanta. My main man, John Schumann, is in New Jersey. John Hartzell behind the glass, as always, bringing you NBA information, news, views, observations, all of it right here on the show. Shoot, we'll get to our guest, Vince Goodwill of Yahoo Sports, a little bit later. But before we get there, another wild Wednesday night in the NBA. I love my TV duties on Wednesday. It always includes Game Time Live and Crunch Time, and Crunch Time never fails to provide some good craziness. Dwayne Wade stunned the Warriors at the buzzer. LeBron James lifted the Lakers up late to make sure they beat Anthony Davis and the New Orleans Pelicans. And the Boston Celtics still struggling. Losing to Portland, Damian Lillard goes off at 33 points. And the Bucks. for those of you who, uh, you know, stay up late and, and dive into these sorts of things, won in a wild overtime game against the Sacramento Kings, very entertaining. What stood out to you most, you, on a crazy Wednesday night around the NBA? Well, the weight, the Dwayne Wade shot was ridiculous. And it immediately reminded me of the Devin Harris shot. Do you remember the Devin Harris mm-hmm. shot? Ten years ago uh, against Philadelphia, I was in the building for that one uh, mm-hmm. at the Meadowlands, the uh, wonderful wow. and wonderful Brendan Byrne Arena or <laughs> Izod Center, whatever they were calling that. I, I liked the Izod Center when it was Izod Center. That was kind of clever. <laughs> <laughs> that one was just as wild. Basically, Harris sort of fumbled the ball or got poked away, and then he just sort of caught it and flung it from about 50 feet in one motion and hit the shot. I don't think it banked in. But the amazing thing is, is that was 10 years and four days ago. So, or prior to the weight shot, the weight shot was February 27, 2019. Devin Harris shot was Febu- February 23rd, 2009. So basically mm-hmm. the same week in the year. Right. Um, and do you know who's on the floor for both shots? <laughs> oh boy, let me think. Devin Harris shot again, happened against Philly. Andre Iguodala. Andre Iguodala. He was the, yes. basically the guy defending Devin Harris at the time. Yeah. He was defending Wade at the beginning of that possession, but then they got switched and he was under the basket. Yeah, I I thought Kevin Durant was going to actually get a hand up from, you know, like he was behind Wade. I thought he was going to reach up and and block that shot from overhead, like from behind, but he didn't. He didn't. (laughs) Jordan Belper actually made a really good play on it at the first shot. And then the other, I mean, at the end of it, it's just instinct, right? Like to know that he doesn't have time to catch and reload, right? right? Right. And and to know and somehow you know lifting his the the left foot which was in front of the three point line up and in the air yeah. so that he's leaving off of his right foot which is behind the three point line so the shot counted for three points and won the game instead of instead of just tying it up it was um, pretty amazing and I think it was Durant that left a point at the free throw line just yes. you know, se- seconds earlier so. it was smart of Durant though not to reach he probably would you know if you get a foul call yeah. you know either yeah. way so I mean I. I'm not knocking him. I just, I just in watching the replay over and over again, and we watched it repeatedly, you know, in crunch time, I thought, man, Durant had a chance to reach up and block that shot. But great moment for Dwayne Wade in, in his farewell season shoe. 
And a great, but the thing is a great moment and just like a, a, a moment of, of nostalgia perhaps, but also a shot that keeps the heat in the playoff race. And actually they're still just tied in the loss column with the eighth place Hornets. So not just not insignificant in regard to like real, you know, playoff implications. Not at all. I mean, they, they've been an enigma of late. Um, just struggling the way they have, but that was a listen. There were several teams that had critical wins and losses, obviously last night that impact the playoff race. Uh, Minnesota losing in overtime to Atlanta certainly knocks them back a, a step in whatever pursuit they might have had trying to make the playoffs run in the West. Certainly, the Kings putting up the fight they did against the Bucks was interesting. The Lakers needing to win the game the way they did, and LeBron, the pressure was on. Shoe, I mean, it was a lot of people. <laughs> You know, talking about the fact that the the Lakers are in a tailspin and that they had to get out of it. You you impress with LeBron's thirty three points and ten assists to make sure that the Lakers got the victory they needed. <laughs> I guess, but that was um, you know, I mean, I don't think cha- things have really changed from when we talked about them on, on Monday. And mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I'll be impressed when they win three games in a row for the first time since right. whatever late November, early December was the last time they won three in a row. And it was another case where like he hit a miraculous shot. They were up three with in the final minute, but with plenty of time for new Orleans to, to get a chance to tie. And he hit like a, you know, he basically was dribbling around, lost the ball, um, had it deflected, picked it up and threw a corner three off of one foot that drained and basically was the dagger, put him up six. You know, if he doesn't make that, Lakers uh, still have a pretty good win probability, but that took their, you know, that basically was the nail in the coffin. And it was another just sort of miraculous shot, but he's one of the guys that can make that shot. And so, you know, like beating the Pelicans at home with Anthony Davis not playing the fourth quarter is is what it is you know the lakers have much tougher games ahead and and that will determine you know those games will determine you know if they make the playoffs or not shu i haven't asked you your opinion about the uh anthony davis you knew my opinion from an hour hour after he he, his it came out that he had a trade request i I mean i know you you didn't want to play another second in a pelicans uniform i don't see why he should what's what's your what's your feeling about the way that i think this is ridiculous what they're doing to me it's worse than you know coming out and saying we're going to bench him I mean this is this is dangling him out there for three quarters or 20 minutes a night and then saying oh yeah by the way we're shutting him down now how do you play a game with with the best player on the floor usually not involved at crunch time at, a, at a, you know with the, the game on the line that makes sense you know, the whole thing is so silly that you know he clearly told them a month ago or whatever it was that he didn't want to be there anymore. They have, I think, you know, they have the right to say, all right, then you're not going to play. And so it is what it is. It's a weird situation. I don't know uh, the, res- the resolution that every party, you know, the player, the team, the league would all be happy with. So mm-hmm. somebody, you know, it's going to be, it's, I guess it's going to be messy from now on. They, they can at least say, hey, we're not going to play him in the second game of back-to-back, I would hope. And then. I mean, it's just absolutely bizarre. Yeah. I mean, there's not much else to say about it, especially like when they're on national TV like that, you know, against against the Lakers of all teams, you know, it's, you know, when, if if it's a league pass game, it it obviously doesn't get as much attention. Yeah. Good point. Um, The the Bucks doing their own kind of maintenance, I guess you could call it with, with Giannis and Chris Middleton battling some 
cramps issues um, down the stretch of that game. But the Kings, shoot, I've been I've been so impressed. I've talked about them a lot, although you know every chance I get the last few weeks. Just I, I like when I see a team turning a corner, and they're not winning some of these games, but they're super competitive. In, in so many of these games, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know if they're going to find a way to make the playoffs or not, but I do appreciate the fight they put up. They remind me a lot of what the, what the Nets are doing in the East in terms of just how competitive they are every night. It's a good space for them to be in after Dave Yeager, you know, had some issues earlier in the season. There was some talk that he might get replaced as coach. What do you, what do you make of the Kings and their chances down the stretch? You know what? I was thinking about that question you asked the other day about Lakers, Kings, Clippers, and mm-hmm. and who would benefit. I think the Kings would benefit the most mm-hmm. from making the playoffs, obviously, right? They have a 12-year drought. They have a bunch of young players who could use the experience. Right. Um, the Clippers and Lakers both have their eyes on the bigger picture, you know, the, the two- or three-year picture down the road. Not that the Kings don't. You know, the Clippers just, you know, are are looking at free agency. The Lakers are looking to make a trade in the summer so they can, like I said uh, on Monday, they're more focused on competing for one of the top three spots in the uh, Western Conference playoff picture and not one of the bottom three. Right. But at the same time, if the Kings don't make the playoffs, and I've said this before, is that it's still a a big step forward uh, for them this season in that, one, they found an identity, you know, they know who they are. And two, they have a core of young players that all, you know, took big step forwards in Fox, Heald, Bogdanovich, and Bagley establishing himself right. um, in the league and getting some some reps. Um, hopefully his knee injury isn't serious. We're, you know, when we're yeah. taping this, we don't know the extent of that. I felt like we jinxed him with our blog table question. <laughs> but like I said, like, it would be awesome if they made the playoffs for them. At the same time, this season has already been awesome for them. Like it's already right. been the best season they've had in 13 years. So that and and meaningful, not just for the season itself, but in in for in going forward and establishing something over the next four or five years. Yeah, the 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 Bucks got a, a really nice game out of Nico Miritich. Um, 21 points, five of eight from three point territory. We we know the East you know, has has been ratcheted up in terms of competitiveness at the top. Miritich is going to be huge for them, I think, in the playoffs. I'm, I'm, and I'm reluctant to nitpick the Bucks at this stage of the season because I think Mike Budenholzer understands you, how much they've accomplished so far, but how much more will need to be done. So if he wants to be mindful of Giannis's minutes right now, I don't have a problem with that. And they have they have five more back to backs, which is a yes. lot considering they only have twenty one games left. And one of them is Friday, Saturday this week, Lakers at Lakers at Utah. So I mean, it, I I do wonder. I mean, there is a little hint of concern, right? That that they had to take Antetokounmpo out in overtime last yeah, night. You know, but you know we're still you know six weeks away basically from from the postseason. So. Um, and if they need to, I mean, they are in comfortable position, a fairly comfortable position atop uh, the East with the knowledge that they can win some games without him. I mean, yes. they do yeah. have a game against Phoenix, uh, two games against Cleveland, two against Atlanta. So basically like five games against the teams that have lost basically like 70%, 5% of their games this season. So they have some gimmies that they can say, okay, you know, those are rest games. Right. 
And three of those games are part of a back-to-back. So basically they can, you know, really take uh, some, some caution. Yeah. At the same time, by the way, did you, what do you find like uh, at the same time, I was wondering about Chris Paul. Did you see that, that they, the Rockets were planning on playing him both games of a back-to-back, um, which was Thursday, Friday. Um, no, I did. Wow. Oh, excuse me. Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm. That I'm curious, like that one I, I'm fascinated by. Like he got hurt in the second game of a back-to-back. I mean, how simple would it be just, just to sit him in the last, you know, for one of the two games of their four remaining back-to-back? It, it, it was a little, I was a little surprised by that, but maybe we'll see. Maybe they, they change their mind. Maybe that's not necessarily the plan going forward, but I think they're comfortably in playoff position. I don't see why they would push him. You know, the guys, he turns 34 in a couple months. He's got three more years of a huge contract on it. Like I, I don't see the the, the need to because they're basically healthy otherwise, right? Yeah, but you're not Mike D'Antoni. You're not the mad <laughs> scientist, the mad genius. I guess. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's weird. Like that one, that one took me back. Like that seemed like the most, you know, uh, basic. Hey, just sit this guy in 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 the second game of back to back from now on. But, you know, we'll see. The, the discussion about the, the Bucks shoe brings us to the East and kind of the state of affairs with, the, like you said, that roughly six weeks before the playoffs start. I, I got some head scratchers on what's going on with some of these East <laughs> powers. And uh, I, I'd love to get not only your opinion on it, but uh, also our guest, Vince Goodwill, senior writer for Yahoo Sports. As I mentioned, Shu, Vince Goodwill, Yahoo Sports, star of the bounce on Wednesday nights on the Yahoo Sports app, uh, along with the, the fantastic Stephanie Reddy and, and Jet Terry. Vince, appreciate you joining us. I know you back and forth in the air, uh, you know, doing your thing, man. But we need a we need a therapist. We need an NBA therapist to help us figure out what in the you know what is going on in Boston. What what is the deal with a Boston team that cannot win all of a sudden with Kyrie Irving in the lineup? But then they play free as a bird when he's in street clothes. I mean, what's what's really going on with the Celtics? I mean, I definitely think that it's too much talent on the roster where there's not enough minutes to be distributed. And I guess you can say Kyrie Irving's presence there can be a problem because of the type of player you know that he is because he's such a fantastic you know one-on-one player and everything else. But I'm gonna take it in a different direction. I think it's time that we start examining Brad Stevens. <laughs> I really do think, for as good of a coach as he is, and I think he's a very good coach. I think we might have crowned him a little bit too soon. When you look at this team, you don't know what their identity is. You don't know what certain players' roles are, role acceptance and role definition. That to me, that's the job of the coach. And I don't think that the players are clear on what their roles are on a night-to-night basis. And I don't know if Brad Stevens has communicated that clear enough to these guys so that they understand at least what's expected of them. So regardless of whether it's too much talent, not enough talent, not if Kyrie is there or not, I think at some point we have to assign this to a coach. If it were someone other than Brad Stevens or someone that we've anointed you know, in the media, you know, as someone being a great coach or someone who's overachieving, whatever the case may be, I think we'd be looking at the coach, the coaching staff, front office a little bit funnier in the light, and we've given Brad Stevens a bit of a pass. I mean, I hear that, but but how can we not lay this, the, the majority of this, at the feet of both Kyrie Irving and, and Gordon Hayward? I mean, whatever Brad Stevens is doing, these two guys were the ones that had to come back and figure out how to best be effective with a group that made it to the conference finals without them. 
I mean, I, I just don't understand how we could assume that these young guys are going to take a step back to to just allow these two guys to reintroduce themselves. I mean, it, there's no way, no way that we give them a pass for the Celtic struggles right now. Well, you know, say cool. I look at it like this: Gordon Hayward. How much of this is just simply on the fact that he's not physically ready to be the type of player? that the Celtics need them, him to be. Now, I have questions on whether Gordon Hayward, even before the injury, was going to be the type of player that the Celtics needed him to be, given the fact that he signed a massive max contract. And I'm not sure he was that level of ball player to begin with. But that let's just put that to the side for a second. He's not physically ready to be that type of ball player. Now, Kyrie Irving, there's a reason the Celtics just made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. If Kyrie Irving is healthy, and everything is there. He's your closer. So whether they haven't accepted that Kyrie is a closer or that Kyrie takes up too much air on the floor, you know, I think there's something to that. But I won't lay this all at the feet of Kyrie because if you're going nine, ten guys deep and guys don't understand what their role is going to be on a night-to-night basis and they're fussing at each other, usually we're pointing at the coach. It's just because that Kyrie is saying some of these crazy things that he always says and he's trying to figure out how to be a leader and figure out how to be vocal about it. He makes himself an easy target. But I don't think he's a, a disruptive force by nature or anything like that. He's just a free spirit who sometimes says goofy things. I do think, like, with back to Brad Stevens, that maybe he's a better coach for a undermanned, scrappy team, as we saw last year, as we, as we saw in his – as the Celtics improved basically in every year that he was a coach the first few years, um, you know, before they brought in Hayward and Irving basically. But that doesn't mean that he can't be, you know, event like that the Celtics need to change coaches because they have a different, because they have too much talent. No, I think it's just, you know, he's got to figure things out himself. The, the weird thing about the Irving thing is, and I'll, I'll just cite this stat because it's um, just incredible. They've now lost the last six games he's played and won the last six games he's missed. The weird thing about it, though, is that his minutes aren't necessarily bad and his production isn't necessarily bad. It's that Terry Rozier has been bad backing him up um, for the most part. Rozier has been one of the worst shooters in the league this year. The Celtics have been at their worst offensively with him on the floor. And so it's it's a it's not a there's no simple solution like, oh, you know, Kyrie's the problem, you know, it's not really. He's sort of the guy that that holds up their offense when he in the games that he does play. So what are you saying? So is it Kyrie's mere presence on this <laughs> roster or is it just is he like this toxic hulking figure who brings everybody down? Like I'm trying to figure out where it comes from because you're are you just saying when a team has problems you point to their best player or are you saying because Kyrie says the goofy things? or because Kyrie is just the one piece that's that much better than everybody else, that there's a problem. How about this one, Sekou? Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, Jalen Brown, even to some degree Al Horford, mm-hmm. and Terry Rozier. All of those guys have heard their names in trade talks for the better part of the past year. You think that at some point it isn't going to affect these guys? No, I mean, listen, I understand. And they haven't got paid yet. Yeah, you can start pointing fingers in every direction when you're struggling. We know that, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, and Shoe, Vince, you know this better than anybody. You guys have been around this league long enough. Watch teams, understand the dynamics of that team, you know, fabric and how important it is more than anybody. Think about the Detroit teams. 
you know, with, with Chauncey and Rip and Ben Wallace and Rasheed and Tasha, how critical team chemistry is to a group. If Kyrie is your best player, he's your catalyst. He's, you know, he's your closer. And he upsets the chemistry the way he seems to have this season based off what they did last year. I have a very hard time pointing fingers at anybody other than the guy I see who disrupts that chemistry. We're talking about him bickering. I don't care. Listen, and I don't care about his flat earth stuff, him barking at the media at all star, him trying to, you know, school us on, on what we should be focusing on and, and what we think we know and what we really know and all that other stuff. That's fine. We, we hear that from players, you know, from time to time. It does not color my impression of how you play and how you function with your team. But if I can't count on you to be a unifying force on your team when you're supposed to be the catalyst, then, yeah, I, I do. I do lay a lot of the responsibility for whatever your team's fortunes are at your feet. That hasn't changed for me ever. I think the team dynamic is number one in this league, and I think it's the most underrated part of the evaluation process for star players. Like, do you know, you can go out and get numbers. You can be Mr. Fan. You can do all this beautiful stuff on the court. But if I can't count on you to lift that team up spiritually, like, and I mean that, the spirit of a team has to reflect the leader of that team. And I look to no one other than Steph Curry as a prime example. Yeah, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to hold you to that part of the job if you're Kyrie Irving. Am I wrong for that, Vince? You tell me. If I'm putting no, too much on him, no, but I, I, think you're I think he's responsible in that regard. Maybe even more, uh, more so than, than Gordon Hayward, who I agree with you, Vince, is not healthy, probably shouldn't have come back as soon as he did, and probably owes Brad Stevens for his struggles and his issues because they, they brought him back too soon. I'll put it like this. I'm not absolving Kyrie of uh, – any level of culpability, especially when, and I think this is something guys that comes up in the age of the supermax. And I think this is one of the, the backlash of having such a schism between guys on rookie contracts where they're being paid relatively meager salaries compared to other guys in the locker room compared to guys making a supermax deal and looking at it and saying, I'm holding up more than my end of the weight relative to the money I'm making and I can't get to my money sooner. And then when something goes wrong, I'm at fault or I'm the blame or I have to be the piece that has to go get Anthony Davis. So I think there's a lot of that there. And I will say this to you. I, I will say this, and this goes to your point. We were having this conversation last night on the bounce uh, behind, you know, in our little commercial breaks. Would you rather have Damian Lillard or Kyrie Irving. And I said, at first I was like, you take the biggest spade possible, and that's Kyrie. And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? Dame Lillard is more of a unifying force. He seems to be better suited to be a leader when it comes to these type of things. And just some guys are, some guys aren't. And I will say to you, if I'm going to put Damian Little above Kyrie in that way, then I have to give some country to Kyrie and say, maybe he's not fit to be a leader of a championship type of team because he just, some guys just aren't cut for it. And maybe he's just not cut to be that leader for this type of team in this way. But to me, I've always known that. You've always known that, Sekou. 
So to me, if the Celtics, you, the Celtics grabbed Kyrie because he was the best player on the market and you don't get a chance to get a player like that. They didn't grab him because they thought, oh, my God, he's going to be a great leader for our franchise. So to me, if you grab a Kyrie and you're saying you, you can't really be a leader, but we're going to put you in a certain position, then you got to go fill out those other pieces around him because Kyrie has done nothing more than be Kyrie Irving for his entire career. Yeah, I will. I will say that those dudes love Damian Lillard in that Portland locker room. Yes, the coaching staff loves him. the uh, The players love him. He is like, I mean, I remember talking to some Portland people about him once, and they were just like, he's so easy to follow. Basically, um, well, when's the last time he threw everybody under the bus? Never. You know. But I got a question for you, Seku. Like, yeah, because you know Al Horford. Does yeah. Al Horford have it in him to be a unifying force? In a locker room like that, like I think he gets, I think everybody respects him and he, you know, but maybe he just leads more by example than by, you know, saying anything. That's a good question. I think, I think Al's issue, like a lot of people's events and John, you guys understand this, like very few people can. When you have a star personality in a locker room, Al Horford's not the kind of guy who's going to contest or go at or combat Kyrie's authority even if it's misguided of Kyrie to assume that these young guys are following him. And I've heard different things. I've heard people say that those young guys in Boston, they're not as put off by some of Kyrie's antics and words as, as we might think. But Al is not going to be the guy that, that creates a storm in that locker room for the sake of being the leader. And, you know, that's one of the issues you have with a player like Kyrie. Let's not pretend like Kyrie was some – you know, master of, of leadership when he was in Cleveland. Pre and post LeBron, there were issues. Ask Deion Waiters. Ask, ask anybody who worked for the Cavaliers when Kyrie was there whether or not he was seen as a guy who could be the unquestioned leader of a championship team. I would tell you the, the answer would be universally no. I'm not knocking Kyrie's talent at all. I'm only saying that some guys, as talented as they might be, are not suited for the number one leadership role on the team. And that, for me, if I'm Boston, if I'm Danny Ainge, who was in the locker room the other night, reportedly talking to Kyrie after the game, that would make me nervous with the combination of young talent, veteran savvy that they have in that locker room, and their immediate future in terms of what they have to do this summer. Kyrie has leverage. There are teams out there that we all know would jump at the opportunity to add Kyrie Irving in free agency. He knows it. The Celtics know it. Everybody knows it. So how much of their issues should we park in Kyrie's circumstance? You know, how much of this is the looming spork in the road that Kyrie is facing? Well, that's, that's the question that I think I'm going to pose it back to you guys. If we believe that, Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis's fortunes are at least lightly aligned in that way, where Anthony Davis will be more amenable to playing in Boston if Kyrie is there. Does that mean that you offer Kyrie the full load? What's that five and one eighty eight? And knowing what that is this summer, even if you ma- even if you don't make it out the second round of the playoffs this year, you offer fire Kyrie the full boat because you believe that that secures you Anthony Davis in the event that you trade for him. Do you do that and hope that Anthony Davis and Kyrie are 
can combine to lead you where you need to go? Or do you take your chances with Kyrie and say, all right, Kyrie, you want to go to New York or you want to go wherever? Go ahead. That would be tough for me because I look at the leadership they exhibited on their own in, their, in, in different situations, and it didn't translate to winning at the highest level. Like not even consistent playoff appearances for Anthony Davis and the Pelicans. And literally, Kyrie was just getting numbers before LeBron came back. Let's be real about mm-hmm. it. Come on. Mm-hmm. I mean, and mm-hmm. I'm, again, it's not about knocking the guy's talent, but there's a difference between being ultra-talented and being a, a force that lifts up an entire franchise. Anthony Davis, we can say whatever we want. You can, bl- you can point fingers at Dale Demps and whoever else. If they couldn't figure it out around him in New Orleans, even with all-star caliber help in Drew Holiday, Boogie and Rondo in, in limited doses, Kyrie was nowhere to be found on the playoff landscape in that rebuild in Cleveland. There wasn't even an uptick in the group's performance as a whole until LeBron showed up. Okay. So I'm not, I'm not here to skewer reputations, but I'm here to point out facts. Look at, look at what Giannis is doing for the Bucks in the right situation. Okay. Look at what Philly's guys are doing in the right situation. Has, has Boston, has Danny Ainge, has Brad Stevens, have they not put ample resources around Kyrie, setting him up beautifully to be a guy who could lead that Celtics team to where they want to get to? Has not happened. It's funny how like there there are now like three free agents, big name free agents that everybody would love to have supposedly, Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, and and Jimmy Butler, where you you have like a sec, you take a pause and think about yeah like but this dude's acted kind of <laughs> flaky over the last year or so you know like do we really want this dude leading our locker room you know it's this huge summer free agency and these are three of the top targets but the baggage that comes with them is seems to be getting uh a little bit heavier as as we get closer that's why somebody asked the other day who wins this summer you know we had that question on uh, our blog table nba.com vince and i said whoever gets kevin durant because even with those three guys as free agents they're not the to me they're not a single one of them is the biggest prize on the market this summer Kevin Durant will be, is, and will be. You, you have to have, and, and I would tell you that Durant had some similar issues before he went to the Warriors. People had similar mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. Let's, not act like, let's not pretend that he hasn't acted a little bit weird this season, too. No question. But when, when the money's on the line, and you're in yeah. that moment, I have no questions about his performance. Kyrie, big shot. Helped in the playoff trial in Cleveland will forever be known as a guy who was a hero to Cavs fans. That's that's lifetime stuff that's gonna last for an eternity. But what does he do as the number one guy as opposed to the number two guy? Which is what his role was in Cleveland, and which is what he wanted out of Cleveland for, right? I mean, when you ask yourself, if you're the Knicks, both of you ask yourself. If I'm the New York Knicks, am I willing to stake the future of my franchise on Kyrie? Not just the talent, but the the franchise cornerstone. And if you are, that's fine. Well, the Knicks are coming from a different spot. But I'm not. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm just saying I'm not. 
you know, because your, your, your calculus, when you add a player like Kyrie or, or Anthony Davis, to a lesser extent, I think this, this applies to Jimmy Butler. But Vince, you know, Jimmy Butler would probably push back on that because he sees himself in that same light. Right. Is, is your, your calculus instantly becomes, well, if I add this guy, now we're talking about competing for championships. And I'm saying that only applies in my, in my eyes through, the, through this prescriptions I got right here on my, on my nose. That only applies if there's someone else in the mix who I could lean on as my number one guy. Well, if that's the case, then can't you ask, and, and I agree, can you ask the same question about Kevin Durant? If you leave Kevin Durant to his own devices with some of the puzzling things that he said, with the way some of his moods come across, even if you put him and Kyrie Irving on the same team, how good, how stable of a locker room of a structure will you have with those two guys leading your franchise? You don't know what they're going to feel or what they're going to say from Monday to Tuesday. <laughs> and those two talented guys are going to be the voices, the faces of your franchise. How good, how great can you be? I just think to some degree, there are some talented players who you can win with, but you have to have the right structure around them. Like you, you brought up, you know, Rasheed Wallace or those pitching teams earlier. And Rasheed Wallace was not viewed as a guy that you could win with, that he was too combustible. But you put him in the right situation where you accentuated what he did well, which is a lot of those, a lot of those little things, post up play, blah, 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 and sort, of, and sort of minimize some of those emotions that could drown you. To some degree, you got it if you're the Knicks or you're any other franchise. I think that's, to me, I think that's why Golden State is the perfect place for Kevin Durant. Because despite all the things that you can say about, about him and his experience there, it seems to me from a basketball standpoint, it minimizes some of, the, some of the things that he's not great at. And also, he's not trusted on to be the leader to set the tone emotionally. That's Stephen Curry. That's much more personality you know, suited for him. I don't know if you can have Kyrie or Kevin Durant driving the personality of your ball club and you to have a championship experience. You know what? You, you, you asked a very good quick question, or you said y'all were talking about that during commercials. Who would you rather have between Kyrie and Damian Lillard? I, w- I would love if we could inject some truth serum into some other players in the league and ask them that question and what they would say. Mm-hmm. Because they're not looking at it just from a you know going out and getting your number standpoint. It's a culture thing. Like, is this a guy who could come into a situation and be a foundational piece for the culture of your team and how it's going to be run? I think there would be more people that selected Damian Lillard in that situation than would select Kyrie, based on what we've seen from both guys. And this is this is me saying this after taking a couple of years, really when, when Kyrie was cooking over, um, you know, at the world championships, I, I have a different respect for Kyrie's game. Like he's even better than I thought he w- was going to be after he, he won the MVP at the world championships. It's world Cup. And, and that's, and I thought he was going, going to be outstanding, but I'm here to tell you if, if I have to grow old with a person, as my as my motor for my franchise, man, you got you got to check a few more of the boxes than what Kyrie is checking right now. From just from a from a leadership component, and from a 
what's the right way to say this from a fabric of my team standpoint. Like I need mm-hmm. to know that I can rely on you when those cameras and lights are on, you know, I need to know that, like you said, from Monday to Tuesday, there's stability in what you say and in the message you disseminate and, and not the foolishness that we see. I mean, you saw him bickering it, whoever in the huddle. I don't even know if he was yelling at anybody in particular. He looked like he was just complaining. And, you know, that stuff does not inspire other guys, young, old, whatever. When your best player is not stable, you run into these issues. Whenever we have this conversation, I always think at the back at Tim Duncan and appreciate that dude for everything that he was. One of the best offensive players in the game, one of the best defensive players of the game, and and absolutely from all accounts, you know, I'm in San Antonio with him those years, but absolutely no baggage, you know, just. I'll give both of you a great example of what I'm talking about. Even when you have best of the best talent, Hall of Fame, all-time great, transcendent talent, what can derail that culture? Absolutely. Think about Miami their first year with LeBron, D-Wade, and Bosh and how their culture failed them at the biggest moment. And then think about the Lakers. Kobe and Shaq at the height of their powers with, with superstar Hall of Fame help in terms of the role players and reserves. And the Pistons took them apart in 04 finals. Now, I know I'm going back for these people who only remember the NBA as, as far as since the Warriors have been winning championships. But long before this, you had the team build in a way that wouldn't allow for the foolishness we're seeing. There was a different way you built a team now. To me, what, what Milwaukee's doing, and we never talk about Milwaukee being the free agent player they could potentially be with all the guys on their roster who are going to be free agents. But you feel so much differently about their foundation because you trust Giannis, not just his game, but the fact that if, if, if you need him to be the leader of your team, you trust his commitment, you know, his understanding of his role and how he's supposed to comport himself as the number one guy on that team. All I'm saying is you can be a great player. You can be outstanding, but it doesn't mean you're a leader of a, of a championship team. And until these guys figure that out, that, that it takes more than just being great, you know, to be, a, to be the leader of a championship team, to, you know, proof is in the pudding. Look, look at the results. Look at, look at how they operate. Look at how their teams orbit around them. And, and you tell me you wouldn't have some similar reservations. That's all I'm saying. I don't disagree with you, Seiko. You just you just preached the word there. I feel like I should put some, <laughs> some money in a collection plate, or a Venmo or Cash App or something like that. Uh, you know, I feel like I should donate. I got kids. <laughs> Amazon is my friend. Um, but no, I just, you know, and and I apologize for going off the deep end. But Vince, she will tell you that I, I get in. I get into this every now and then where I get a little preachy about this. I just. It just bothers me because I realize the the finite amount of time these guys have to compete at the highest level. You never know when that window's closing. Mm-hmm. And to to waste any of it on frivolous things, man, it just, it pain it, it pains me because I want to see these guys compete at their zenith. I want to see them at the highest level for as long as possible. But the observation we have, we get to understand and fully comprehend how quickly that window can evaporate, how, how it can be gone in an instant. Well, the question is, do you believe 
I guess this is just, you know, for both of you guys. Do you believe that leadership is something that can be, you can be molded into a leader, that you can develop into a leader, or that you basically have to have, if you're not one of those guys, that it has to be perfect conditions for you to win? Because Kobe Bryant wasn't viewed as a leader, you know, his, during that first three-peak. He was a lone wolf. Yes. And then, you know, circumstances changed. You know, perhaps he grew up. Or perhaps you just put the perfect players around him that allowed that was in an environment conducive to him leading his way and people following. Because if you're saying that a guy is not a leader and that's something that, you know, that will never happen for him, then the Celtics made a mistake in even acquiring Kyrie Irving because of some of these some of the damage that's coming on the back end of this. But if you're saying a guy can grow into one, then should the Celtics make that investment that Kyrie can grow into a leader and that you can put the right type of team around him? I mean, think about it. LeBron wasn't necessarily viewed as a leader until that second year in Miami where he sort of learned from Dwayne Wade and he learned from that heat culture. So what side of the fence do you sit on? This is not me hedging, but I, I I do think you can grow into a leadership role in this league. I just don't think you have the luxury of that time anymore in today's Mm. NBA. I believe that. That makes sense. You know, unfortunately for Kyrie, nobody is going to sit around and wait for you to smooth out your rough edges in that department. And that's not his fault. That's just the nature of the monster now. Mm-hmm. You know, hello, Luka Doncic and all these young guys, these rookies. You don't have five years to to find your footing the way Dirk Nowitzki did when he was in Dallas and, and spent his first few years not having that pressure on his shoulders. Now you come into the league, everybody expects you to to have it down by the end of your rookie season. So it's like, no, it's a, it's a great point, Vince, but I just don't know that you have the luxury of that time the way you did a, a generation ago even. I think, I think we moved past that shoe in terms of expecting guys to be the full package sooner than ever in this league. Solid point. So, uh, I mean, anyway, let, we, we've run past our, our opportunity. Uh, Vince, I know you got a, a fantastic look at the Sixers up on, uh, on Yahoo. People need to take a, take a look at that. Give us a real quick synopsis of what you were getting at in that piece, Vince. It's funny because the way you're looking at the Celtics is almost the way, to some degree, I'm looking at the 76ers where I look at them as being a team that could – very well make it to the Eastern Conference Finals or even the finals of things break right, but also a team that could get bounced in the first round. Mm. Like, I just see them being a great chemistry experiment. I think you have too many variables on one one roster that doesn't have the, you know, organizational – how do I put this, Sekou? I don't think they have the organizational standards mm. to hold players to. Like, when you look at where they were at the 50-game mark a year ago, they were 25 and 25. Then they go on the 16-game winning streak, and they blast through. They beat Miami. They give the Celtics a run. And you're like, okay, now they're going to be at a, at a spot where they're ready to take a next step. And then they hit the fast-forward button twice, first in getting Jimmy Butler, then in getting Tobias Harris. And without any real idea of how they're going to assign these roles and, you know, recalibrate their depth. So I look at them as being, you know, a, a lot of different variables that I don't think they're mature enough to handle yet. They don't have the leadership. They don't have the structure. And I think people are so enamored with the frontline talent that they're not looking at sort of reading between the lines and trying to figure out that this team may not be ready for prime time. And at the first sign of adversity, they may wind up getting bounced in the first round, no matter who they're playing. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's, they're, they're another team that, that 
could probably use a good autopsy no matter what mm. happens in spring. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of these teams need to – Certainly talked enough Celtics in the, over the last month. Or so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 no offense, I'm getting Kyrie fatigue. I know. I know. That's why I'm, I'm – Shoe, I know you got trivia for us. I'm praying it's not Celtics related. It is not. <laughs> it is not. You ready? We, so I was writing a little Nuggets, uh, Denver Nuggets uh, story for today. It'll, it's up on NBA.com right now as we speak. Mm. And I was doing a little uh, Nikola Jokic uh, research. Nikola Jokic is averaging 7.7 assists per game, which is seventh in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, but would be the third most for a center in NBA history. Um, so part one of the uh, trivia question, who's the only center that has averaged more than 7.7 assists per game in a season uh, in NBA history? Fairly, Will Chamberlain? Fairly. Will Chamberlain, yeah, he did it twice. Uh, 8.6 in 67, 68, 7.8 in 66, 67. The uh, uh, – infamously or famously saying that he wanted to lead the league in assists, I guess was the, <laughs> the goal. So part two, there are five, including uh, Jokic, mm-hmm. there are five active centers who have averaged at least four assists per game in a season. And all of them have done it uh, multiple times. So who are the other four active centers who have averaged at least four assists per game in a single season? So this is all like sort of top 100 for centers. Four assists, it would be, you know, top 100 of all-time centers. Right. Uh, um, so four other active hmm. centers. Boogie Cousins? Nope. Wow. What, what about? One of them we've mentioned on this podcast already. Al Horford. Al Horford. Uh, he's yeah, done it twice, and he's doing it for a third time this year, averaging 4.0. He's... One of the only ones that's averaged uh, five. He's averaged, he averaged five two seasons ago in Boston, 4.7 last season in Boston, and now 4.0 uh, this year. He is a center. I've, I keep forgetting that. Um, what about Mark guys. Gasol? Mark Gasol, yes. He's done it three times mm. and doing it again for a fourth time this year. Okay. Uh, man, to be a center to average that many assists, it means you, that ball's got to run – it's got to run through you. Considerably. Uh, the other two guys are old, very kind of older on the older uh, side of things. Well, I guess, right. I mean, maybe the other guy. Would it be Powell? Powell, yes. He's, mm-hmm. He did it twice, once with the Grizzlies, once with the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one more. Yeah, I think of Powell more as a forward. In the, oh, Joakim Noah. Joakim Noah, yes. Uh, yeah. Nice, nice work. Yes. Did it yes. twice. Uh, 5.4 in 2013-14 and 4.7 in 14-15. That's an interesting list when you think about it, too, because Mark Gasol is kind of a, a balanced, like kind of a plays both ends type guy. But Noah is largely seen as a defensive mm-hmm. presence in the league. And then Powell, he would have never really – looked at Powell as kind of a conduit for everybody else, but that is the role he played throughout parts of his career, you know, certainly in Memphis and in LA where he was kind of that secondary facilitator at at times for those teams. So, and with the Horford, it's interesting that he didn't do it with Atlanta, even with that one uh, great Atlanta team that, that, uh, his role was different then, though. He was not, you know, they they had dominant ball handlers and, 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 Usage guys, obviously, in Joe Johnson, yeah. to where he just wouldn't have had the ball enough. 
at that stage of his career to be that guy. Later in his career, maybe that 60 win team, you would have thought he'd have had. Yeah, that's what I'm talking. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. But yeah, I have to go back and look. For the bulk of his years in Atlanta, that wouldn't have been the case. Um, Interesting. That's the fastest we've ever gotten trivia. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just telling you that. Either shoot was taking it easy on us or we having a good day because that was as quick as that's ever gone. So we appreciate that. Shoot, I know you are off to uh, to Boston, of all places, for Sloan, Enjoy, Nerdapalooza, whatever y'all call it up there now. You know, I'm sure to be filled with interesting stories and uh, lots of uh, number crunching. Yeah. yeah, I was going to think about – I was thinking about going to the Celtics game on uh... – on Thursday or Friday, I forget they're playing the Wizards, but I, I think I might skip it. I think I've just had enough of thinking about and talking about the Celtics for for a little while. I'm not getting an invite to the Irving family reunion this summer. I know that. Now I hate I hate that it sounds like I'm hating, but I'm just pointing out. I, I appreciate you holding us back as as much as you have. I'm just saying I'm I'm pointing out the facts. You've exercised so much restraint. Say so cool. <laughs> Appreciate it. Vince, good to see you as always in the flesh. <laughs> yes, and sir. Podcast, man. We, uh, we appreciate you taking some time. Um, we'll, we'll hit you up down the road, of course, and, and see you again in the studio next week, man. It's fun stuff, as always. Always, man. Appreciate it, guys. All right, no man. Doubt, no it. doubt. Um, we'll be back Monday with another episode of the Hangtime Podcast. Check us out. Make sure you look at the Kia MVP ladder on Friday on NBA.com. Going to be a little shake-up shoot. Um, be sure to subscribe to Hang Time on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts for new episodes all season long. Leave a review. Don't make fun of my voice. I'm having some struggles this week. It's just, just the way it is, you know, trying to work through it. Um, and we'll see you right here next time on the Hang Time Podcast.